This is In Conversation from Apple News Today. I'm Duarte Geraldino. Every weekend, we talk to the people behind the best stories on Apple News+. Plus. Today, we're talking with best-selling author Roxane Gay. She recently wrote an article that was published in Harper's Bazaar about the pop star Khalees and why the singer decided to leave the city, buy a farm, and live off the land. You probably recognize Khalees from her 2003 hit single Milkshake. You know the song I'm talking about. Khalees recorded six studio albums and still performs all over the world, but her talents and interests, they extend far beyond music. She went to culinary school and became a chef. Now she owns and runs a farm with her husband outside Los Angeles. And that's the focus of Gay's piece. I was really intrigued by the idea of a black family moving to a farm because we don't hear a lot of those kinds of stories. Oftentimes when people decide that they're gonna go back to the land, such as it may be, it's white people. Gay's article in Harper's Bazaar is called How Khalees Remixed Her Life. You can read and listen to it on Apple News with an Apple News Plus subscription. During my conversation with Gay, we talked about why Khalees started farming, the barriers between black people and homegrown food, and Gay's experiences with her own garden. She started out by giving me a description of Khalees' farm. She has an extensive garden of all kinds of interesting foods, from kale to tomatoes, lettuces. There are fruit trees. She's growing olives to make her own olive oil. She has goats. Yeah, she has just lots of animals. I think about 30 or 40 animals and a very extensive garden, enough that she is able to feed her family of five now. And she is also able to draw from the garden for, you know, canning and things like that. It seems, you know, when we talk about farming, it's not just about food, but it's also about land ownership. What role does owning her own land play in Khalees' commitment to farming? Well, owning her own land allows her to farm it in the ways that she sees fit. And I think that it allows her to make decisions about what she puts into the soil and, frankly, what she pulls out of it in terms of making decisions about what to grow and why and how. And it allows her to do trial and error because it's her land. It's not going anywhere. And so I think it's freedom. And that's one of the many ways she termed it during our conversation was that she had given herself freedom. And I think that's an incredible gift. She also talked about the legacy she hopes to leave her children of having a place where you belong because it's yours. This idea of wealth, not in terms of dollars in the bank, but in terms of having land that you have cultivated yourself and that you can provide for yourself on. And why is it so important, owning land and leaving it to your children? I think because historically, Black people have not had opportunities to own land. We do not have a lot of generational wealth, and most generational wealth is generated by land ownership. And so it really shifts the narrative And it is incredibly empowering. And also, they just have a beautiful home. What makes it beautiful? I mean, I think everything makes it beautiful. It's just California is amazing. (laughs) And 
I live here and, and it's amazing. And the weather is just pretty much always great. And to have all of that verdant land and to be able to try different things with that land, to be able to allow your animals to thrive as much as possible on that land, to be able to build the house that you would like on that land. I just think it all makes for a beautiful life. You write that Kelly's has been thinking about the relationship between black bodies, food, and nourishment. Mm-hmm. What's the connection here? I think that a lot of black people, especially those that live in urban centers, tend to live in food deserts, which means that our communities don't have the same level of access to foods that benefit us and that are nourishing for our bodies. And so one of the many things she's trying to do is to teach her children how to eat in ways that serve our bodies better than the kinds of foods that you only have access to when you live in food deserts. Part of that is having control over the land and control over the growing process to make sure that you are not putting unnecessary chemicals, for example, into your body. Do you see a line between the decline in Black-run farms in the 20th century and this proliferation of food deserts in many Black-majority neighborhoods here in the U.S.? I don't don't see an explicit connection there, but I do think that there probably is a connection. But I think it's also about what businesses prioritize, and businesses tend to prioritize placing their stores where they think they can make money. And for whatever reason, there are certain neighborhoods and communities where I think that they don't think there's going to be enough of a profit, which is weird because everybody eats. And I think that they have a lot of misperceptions about the Black community. And I think that they don't give our communities enough credit or respect, and they don't see any way of improving their financial imperative by investing in Black communities. They just don't think it's worth it. I just think it's racism and short-sightedness and a lack of imagination. But fortunately, there are lots of activists who are working to change that. And especially in Los Angeles, there are a lot of Black women activists who are trying to address these issues and to minimize the impact of food deserts by making sure that fresh farm produce is available in all of our communities. What do you think of the barriers between uh, Black people growing their own food or just accessing farm-grown food in general? Well, I mean, a lot of the barriers are a lack of public transportation, a lack of consumer education about where to go to get these foods, you know, depending like, so the farmer's market we go to here is the Santa Monica farmer's market, which is all the way over in Santa Monica. So it's not convenient. And in general, people want things that are convenient and, you know, it's pricey. You get really great produce, but it's like whole foods, you know, there's a premium that is placed on organic foods and, that premium can be cost prohibitive. How is that at odds with what we think of today as the African-American diet, the so-called soul food that everyone seems to laud right now? I don't think it's necessarily at odds. And I think that's one of the most important things that chefs who 
are cooking soul food and reinventing soul food really wish to get across, that people have this very limited idea of what soul food is as only ribs and collard greens, which is absolutely a part of soul food, you know, heavier things like macaroni and cheese, you know, those are maybe part of the narrative, but it's so much more complex. Black eyed peas. Um, uh, I'm blanking, of course, because I'm Haitian American. You know, I just think that there are other alternatives to that. And we see that. And there are some really interesting chefs out there who are actually trying to reimagine what soul food can be. What did you mean there when you say you're blanking a little bit because you're Haitian-American? Why would that experience be so different? Well, because I grew up eating Haitian food more than anything else. And so it was only as an adult that I started to learn more about African-American foodways and have access to African-American foodways, because I'm also from Omaha, Nebraska. (laughs) So as you might imagine, there is a Black community in Omaha, to be clear. There is a significant Black community in Omaha. Well, significant for Omaha. But, you know, because my exposure was to Haitian food, that is the food that I think of as sort of the food of home and comfort. Have you always had an appreciation for farm-grown food? No. Until I was an adult, I didn't really think about it. But I think I didn't really think about it because I didn't have to. Because my mom was like well before it became trendy into, I won't say natural foods, but like I had never eaten processed food until I went away to high school. I went to boarding school. I had never really had canned food or anything like that. She was all into making things from scratch. She's a vegetarian. And so I had this exposure to this way of sort of eating that was, I don't want to say healthy because I think that's a political term, but that was connected. And so it wasn't like a foreign thing ever. When you talk about really great food, what is really great food to you? Well, it's just so beautiful. Until I started going to the farmer's market, like I did not know what a scallion could actually look like because the ones that you generally get in grocery stores are these like limp, emaciated little shrivels of green onion. And in fact, they are like as thick as thumbs, if not thicker, and they're incredibly long. You know, um, everything is brighter and more vibrant and tastes better. And it's just amazing to see like what non-genetically modified produce can look like and taste like. And so for me, it's like food that's genuinely natural and that hasn't been engineered within an inch of its life. I'm a garlic lover and I went to a farmer's market a couple of years back and I discovered garlic scapes, Mm -hmm. which for anyone who doesn't know are sort of the green things that grows out of what you normally get from garlic. And they are... So amazingly delicious. I did some research, and apparently they're a delicacy, a vegetable delicacy. And that's not something that's normally available um, to anyone. Yes. When you think about the types of produce that seems to be categorized as delicacies, it seems a little bit absurd Mm -hmm. that vegetables wouldn't just be normally available, that they'd be classified as something top shelf. Well, yeah. And again, it goes to speak to access and a false sense of scarcity. You know, 
the reality is that garlic scapes aren't a rare thing. They kind of grow out of all garlic. (laughs) And so it's something that could be made easily available. And unfortunately, it, it isn't, you know, because I think that the food industry and the grocery industry love to make certain things seem scarce so that they can charge a premium for it. After decades of being forcibly disconnected from it, there is a movement of Black people who are farming and growing food. It, does Khalees see herself as part of this larger movement? I think she would see herself as part of this larger movement, and I do think it's a larger movement. There are a lot of really interesting Black women who are trying to get more of us gardening or farming and really having that connection with the land and recognizing that we can actually grow our own produce. We can have access to farmer's market produce. Uh, It doesn't only have to come from grocery stores. Uh, And I think that's great whenever you can expand that kind of access. For people in cities, people in rural areas already know this. And I get the value of this produce. I get the romance and joy of living in the land from which you draw your nutrition. But what are the rest of us supposed to take from this article? I think the rest of us are supposed to take that it can be really fulfilling to take a risk. It doesn't have to be farming. I mean, realistically, most of us are not going to move to the country and buy a farm for so many reasons, including that we can't afford to. <laughs> you know, we have a garden and it's lovely, but it's my wife's garden and I, I'm happy to help her tend to it, but it's her thing. <laughs> I have no interest in farming in any way, shape or form, but I do think one of the interesting things about Khalees and the choices that she has made is that anything is possible. Like she started this farm without any experience and figured it out and continues to figure it out every single day in a range of ways from YouTube videos to reading to talking to other people who are have expertise in the various things she's trying to do. There's an easy punchline in Khalees buying a farm. But when you really sit and listen to her, you can see that she's genuinely invested in what she's doing, whether it succeeds or fails. And I just think it's a great example of how when you open yourself up to authenticity and taking risks, there can be rewards. Your wife's garden. What have you enjoyed eating from that garden? Oh, everything. It's really lovely. We have... um, purple cabbage. We have various lettuces, lots and lots of tomatoes, lemon, sage, parsley, cilantro, thyme, chives, strawberries, blueberries. We have a few fruit trees that are very young. (laughs) They still fruit though, (laughs) but they're really small. They're not, they're not thriving for some reason. We have to figure that out. And so, you know, a lot of it's trial and error. And when something doesn't work, you know, we try and do it again, but differently. And there's a lot of reading (laughs) to figure out, like, how do we make this work? And she does a lot of just digging around in the ground and trimming and watering. It's a whole thing, but she enjoys it. It sounds so delicious and lovely. It is. It is. It's awesome. Like, when we want a salad, oh, the carrots. Like, she just goes out with a bowl and gets what we need for the salad. It's really cool. I would never have guessed that we would be into this, but... She started it in um, March 2020 when everything's sort of locked down, especially here. 
we are bi-coastal and it was my wife's first time living outside of New York. And she was looking for something to do, especially now that our lives had changed so drastically from going out every night and traveling constantly to being in one place. And it just really allowed us to understand that we can be more connected to the food that we consume than we would have given ourselves credit for. And in terms of the future, is this something that's permanently part of Miss Roxanne Gay's life? Absolutely. We're house shopping. And one of the reasons we haven't purchased the house that we both love is that there's no room for a garden. (laughs) And so we are waiting for the right house on the right small little stamp of land so that there can be a garden. Great. It's such a pleasure chatting with you, Roxanne. Thank you so much for being on Apple News today. Oh, thank you. Appreciate it. Roxanne Gay's article on Calice and her farm is available for Apple News Plus subscribers. iPhone users can subscribe in the Apple News app.